You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. And as you guys know, this episode we're going to be talking about the smiley face killer. And that kind of connects to our last episode with the missing men in water because the smiley face, the whole idea of the smiley face killer is that he or whoever they are the ones killing the people. And that's how they're ending up in the water. So we're going to get into that. A lot of you have messages about it on Instagram and wanted to hear about the idea of the smiley face killer, if we ever talked about the smiley face killer before. And we had not because it's not something I always thought was a real thing. Like I said last time, it kind of seems more like an urban legend at this point, but it's a hot topic right now. So we're gonna get into the background and everything of the smiley face killer. We'll see where the day takes us. <laughs> Since 1997, hundreds of college-aged men have gone missing, vanished. They are later found drowned in a body of water. Their deaths are classified as accidental or undetermined. Case closed. This is happening in growing clusters across the country with eerily similar circumstances. Almost all of the victims are top students and athletes who disappeared after a night out with friends. And the deaths keep happening. We've discovered a chilling connection. Near where most of the bodies are recovered, smiley faces. We believe these deaths may all be connected. The work of an organized group of serial killers. We believe the victims are drugged, abducted, killed on land, and eventually dumped in the water. With the help of preeminent crime and forensic experts from all over the nation, our goal is to uncover new evidence to reopen these closed cases and compel the authorities to investigate them as homicides. Only then can we prove that these deaths are linked. We're retired NYPD detectives from the Bronx. We've devoted the last 12 years to collecting evidence. We've dedicated our lives to the families, desperate for answers, and the victims who deserve justice. All right, so between 2009 and March 2016, authorities who were searching the Boston area waterways recovered the bodies of at least 11 people, most young men who had been previously reported missing, in many cases for days or months. And then, you know, we spoke in the last episode about how there's kind of hot spots. Boston is definitely one. Wisconsin is another one that's mentioned a lot. Since 1997, the bodies of at least 10 young men have been pulled from rivers and around the relatively small city of La Crosse in Wisconsin, which kind of is a city on the Mississippi River. Sorry, it's a town, not a city, college town. 
in numerous other communities like Chicago, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee, there have also been clusters of young men turning up dead in the water. In New Jersey, the bodies of three young men were pulled from the Hudson River between 2014 and 2016. This kind of phenomenon doesn't just happen in the US. In England, 61 bodies, most of them belonging to young men, were recovered from the canals of Greater Manchester between 2008 and 2014. In Boston, police have said the majority of the deaths were accidents or suicide, with often drugs or alcohol involved. And in some instances, the weather conditions were, you know, were bad. It was cold, snowy, rainy, whatever, you know, conditions that aren't great when you end up in water. The former Boston Police Commissioner Edward F. Davis told The Globe, in most cases, it's nothing suspicious, just an overuse of alcohol. I did find an interesting map, which I'll put on the blog, and it's basically a map of Boston and where the bodies of these men have been found. And they are in this tiny little cluster, which I don't know. I don't know how much you can read into that in terms of relation to possibly a killer or to maybe it just well, it's shows. It's also like we were talking about the guy who went mo- missing in Boston the last episode. That's kind of like the, the area, forest area. Like that's where Faneuil Hall is and all the different bars, breweries, yeah. the tourist spots, and it's very close to the water. Yeah. So, I mean, it also, like, yeah, they're all clustered together, but that's probably also the place where most people go to yeah, to go no. out and see the sights. And drink alcohol, probably. For sure. So in the last episode, too, we spoke about Cannon, uh, Kevin Gannon. Um, we spoke about him in relation to Dakota James's case. He's been working with NYP detective Anthony Duarte and criminal justice professor Lee Gilbertson, and they have a theory about these type of deaths of men who kind of end up in the water. They believe they are a series of murders by domestic terrorists. The phrase smiley face killers has become well known, and it's based on some of the research of these men. They, you know, made the term because there's been some smiley face graffiti found at some locations where bodies of men have been found. Kevin Cannon, NYPD, retired detective sergeant. After 20 years of multiple units in the NYPD, multiple investigative units in, in the NYPD, I'm probably most known now for this smiley face killer theory that's that is all over the internet. The Smiley Face Killers are a group of well-structured, organized individuals that have cells throughout the United States in which they're targeting specific young men, very intelligent, athletic. They drug them, abduct them, hold them for periods of time before they murder them and then dispose of them in bodies of water and leave graffiti behind, most importantly, the Smiley Face to tell us that these deaths are not accidents but are clearly homicides. There's a really good Rolling Stone article titled Why Three Investigators Blame a Rash of Drowning Deaths on a Gang of Killers. I'll put the link in the blog and some of this information comes from that. Kevin Gannon has said that many of the deceased men were kidnapped and murdered by dangerous criminals who remain at large and continue to kill. The detectives believe the crimes are motivated by jealousy and reflect a coordinated effort to go after men that the killers perceive to be privileged. Gannon says that, you know, the deceased men are classified as the best of the best. In 2008, they have claimed to have identified more than 40 potential murders that had been labelled accidental or undetermined drownings. Since then, they've got more evidence and they've expanded their database of potential victims of the smiley face killers to 335 cases. 
which is crazy. If, if it ends up to be true, that's a lot of murders. When we first started, it was just in the upper states, but it's nationwide. And it's a group of killers. They use the internet to talk to each other. We've been on their websites. So we know that they exist. It's not just one individual traveling across the country killing people. It's groups of individuals who are coordinating. So the only way to bring this forward was finally to bring it to television where the public could see and hear that what's going on with these young men, how they're going out missing, how they're being drugged, how they're being deposited in, in the water, how it's all happening in the wintertime when nobody's around but nobody's drowning in the summertime with these young men. The public would at least say, wait a minute, that sounds suspicious to me. Something must be going on. These guys might be onto something. Forget about who's killing them at this time. Let's prove murder first, then we'll show you who's doing it and why they're doing it. And, and, and for me, this was like the last chance to bring this forward. They um, speak a lot about the de decomposition of these men. Kevin Gannon said the lack of decomposition on the bodies is inconsistent with the period of times that the victims have been missing. So they speak specifically about Dakota James. He was missing for 40 days, but his decomposition showed only around three days. There's another man called Todd Gabe, or Gabe, I think is how you say his last name. He'd been missing for 21 days, but his decomposition was around two and a half days. Kevin Gannon also noted that the presence of land insects, lividity patterns, and the lack of bloating associated with the recovered victims suggests that the victims died on land and not in the water. They also talk about GHB being found in a lot of the deceased men. He said, we have the presence of GHB, which is a date rape drug usually used to facilitate rape in 99.9% .9 of these cases. GHB usually isn't included on toxicology tests, but many of the um, victims' families have requested this kind of after they've been found in the rivers and they've had tests sent to you know the team who are investigating. In the last episode, we did mention that I've read that GHB is something that the body actually produces sometimes too, which may explain why, because 99.9% .9 is a lot. That's every, that's every case basically has GHB in their system. So 335 like, I want to know. Yeah, are they pooling all 335, so like, or 300 whatever, and they all had it in their system? I don't know. It sounds like it. I feel like that's what they're saying, but I feel like that, like, they didn't actually test all of them. I don't know. I think that would be crazy. It sounds Especially like with, a very like, older um, ones. Yeah, it sounds but, like a very sensationalist. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to know yeah, what, what sample that 99.9 .9 is representative of. But also, not saying like it's the norm, but. Like we were just saying, a lot of the people who are kind of included in the smiley face killer theory thing are guys who are younger in probably college, in college areas, who are very drunk. And like I said last time, not that it's like common for GHB to be in college parties or bars or drinks or something, but it's definitely probably like the most likely demographic where. GHB would be a thing like college parties yeah like I know guys obviously you know it's always like guys drug girls drinks but I've always also heard stories of frat parties or things like that where they put GHB or other prescription drugs in the jungle juice that everyone's drinking out of to get everyone super fucked up so then it's like people who have GHB in their system and are super fucked up do seem more prone to be the guys to black out not know what's going on wander off and fall in a river yeah so it's kind of like makes sense 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I'm probably not saying it great, but I believe that more so than some random smiley face killers are specifically picking people and somehow drugging them specifically yep. that person. I feel like too when they say like their their insinuation is that there's a network of killers, I guess, killing people all around the country. But in saying that, you know, it, it, it would have to be an opportunistic crime because it's just they these men generally disappear from bars or, you know, parties. So it's not something that could probably be planned too far in advance. Like it just seems like it's yeah. very um And like do the smiley face killers communicate with each yeah. other across states? How do they know <laughs> like, who's that's I never is. got how do they know whose turn it is? How do you join this smiley face club? Like, how do they this? know about the GHB? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I was just saying, I'm not trying to like make fun of it or make light of it. I know people get frustrated, like sometimes if we make light of something, but I'm not making light. Of, we're not making light of the deaths or anything like that. Just no. kind of it seems like the a idea. Theory. Yeah, yeah, like the idea of this urban legend of smiley face killers. Not saying that there isn't maybe different killers in certain areas and this just happens but just the idea of this network of smiley face killer gang seems a little crazy to me i was actually surprised at how many messages we've had about like when we post a missing man they're like wow this must be a smiley face victim i i i was under the understanding that this had kind of been debunked but it still seems to be a very popular theory for a lot of people to explain why this keeps happening so the FBI has also given their kind of thoughts on the smiley face killer theory. They said they have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths or any evidence substantiating the theory that these deaths are the work of serial killer or killers and that the vast majority of these instances appear to be alcohol-related drownings. There's a um, non-profit called the Centre for Homicide Research in Minneapolis they have also released a study called Drowning the Smiley Face Murder Theory. They talk about the lack of physical evidence of a serial killer. Most of the bodies, they say, were found without signs of torture, strangulation, or otherwise inexplicable blunt force trauma, which means that basically they all had to have been drowned to death, which is an exceptionally rare crime. Medical examiners also, you know, basically always rule the death accidental or undetermined, no matter, you know, the location. So I feel like these medical examiners wouldn't all be working together to cover up this smiley face killer. They also work for the smiley face killer. <laughs> As for the presence of GHB, the researchers of this study say that they think the men probably took it willingly, which, again, is a possibility. Mm-hmm. So as for the smiley face graffiti, it's a bit of a stretch sometimes. I feel like in like this is there's a true crime expert called Michael Arnfield. He said that the smiley face graf- is the most common non-gang graf- graffiti tag in the US. He said you can find it in any city a smiley face graffiti tag somewhere along the water. And I absolutely believe that. Like same. This is, even this is like not the same, but for Christmas, my daughter went through and she found this shop that had all smiley face merchandise and that's what she wants. Like it's, it's still everywhere these days. You know, well, yeah, like in the 90s, smiley faces were super popular. And right now they're kind of making like 90s stuff is making yeah. a comeback. But also not to say like smiley faces were always a thing. And also if you have spray paint and you're not a graffiti artist or in a gang where you're tagging something and you don't know what to do, a smiley face seems like a pretty easy go to. You don't have to be an artist to draw a smiley face. <laughs> or a creative <laughs> at all. Yeah. 
And the other kind of point about the graffiti being found where the men either disappeared or were found is that how do we actually know where these men entered the water? Like a lot of, most of them, I think, were alone when they disappeared. So how do we actually... like 10 miles. Yeah. So how do we actually know, you know, is it just dumb luck that the smiley face was found exactly at the 10 mile point where this person was found? Like that, that's a good point, I feel, that it's just a general... I'm sure, like you said, anywhere under any bridge, under any public area, you'll find probably a smiley face. Yeah, because there's no way that they they would kill someone, throw them in the river, know <laughs> that their body's going to be found 10 miles away at this exact place and put a smiley face. Yeah, like they could have been found a day later not having floated fire at all, or they could be found six months later. Like you just don't know. Depends mm-hmm. on all the conditions. And I, I guess, though, the other theory is that these people were put in the water um, you know, just before like, they were found. Yeah. yeah. Right, so right, that right. that's what I guess the theory of those other men is when they talk about the decomposition, what it should be versus what it actually was. Yeah. So True. there's a, a really good oxygen article that does outline some cases where a smiley face was allegedly found. Um, I guess these cases are probably some of the more I guess there, you know, there was like there was a smiley face proven to be found near where these men were found. They're the ones that, if the smiley face killer exists, are most likely because yes, I get what you're trying to say, and I can't say either. <laughs> <laughs> There's Dakota James, who we spoke about in last week's episode. There was apparently a smiley face found spray painted on an underpass where his body was discovered. If you remember, he'd been missing for forty days. What are the odds that? A, you know a smiley face was recovered right where his body had apparently traveled 10 miles and all that through a dam yeah like in my opinion there's no way that was purposefully coordinated no it was just a coincidence all right there's another man called tommy booth he was 24 and he disappeared in january 19 2008 from a bar in woodland pennsylvania there was cctv that showed him entering the bar but there's no evidence of him leaving the bar sounds kind of similar to brian schaefer About two weeks after he went missing, his body was found face down in a creek behind the bar. His death was ruled a probable drowning and there were no signs of trauma, which is interesting because we just mentioned that kind of before, you know, what the FBI and the study say. The area had been searched repeatedly in the weeks before his body was discovered, but no one had seen him. According to Kevin Gannon and his team, when Tommy was found, his body was in full rigor mortis, which usually dissipates within 24 to 36 hours after death. The finding is inconsistent with the belief that he drowned that night and that Gannon also said his body appeared to have been staged. Three sticks were strategically placed around his body and there were shoe and drag marks in the soil. There was a smiley face painted on a wall of the bar under a deck. I don't know. Pennsylvania in January, I don't know how cold it would get. Would it's he cold. be, yeah, would he be frozen? You know, don't yeah. want to be graphic it's, or anything. I would think that that might Pennsylvania is not so far from where I live. And in January in New York, it's frigging cold. So, yeah. yeah, it'd probably be frozen. But also, like, yes, this one sounds like there's a lot of suspicious circumstances. But, like, just because maybe he was killed under suspicious circumstances doesn't necessarily mean that he's related to dakota james's death and that dakota james's death was anything besides accidental or something you know sure maybe some are suspicious and maybe some have foul play involved that's just not solved yet but that doesn't mean they're all connected and related to the smiley face killer yeah all right there's another one september 29 2006 21 year old lucas homan vanished from lacrosse wisconsin which is you know a kind of a hot spot city town 
The day of his disappearance, he'd been celebrating Oktoberfest with his friends. After a night of bar hopping, he went home at about 10 p.m. with a friend. Somehow him and his friend got separated during their walk and the friend ended up at the ER with a head injury after being picked up by police. He told investigators that he could not remember anything that happened that night. Lucas was reported missing after he didn't arrive for golf the next day. Search dogs scoured the area where he was seen alive and apparently, according to police reports, one dog hit on an SUV that had been owned by a band member who'd played a show at the bar the night of Lucas's disappearance. But that canine alert was inconclusive. The morning of October 2, his body was found not far from the shore of the Mississippi River. So he was only missing for a few days. His death was ruled as an accidental drowning and the autopsy report noted acute alcohol intoxication was a major contributing factor. The night that Luke went missing, you know, you tell me what you remember the best about that evening. He met us out, I think it was called The Vibe, and then I was like, all right, Luke, we're going to go to, I think it was called Broncos. So we went there, and when we left The Vibe, that was the last time I saw him. The police report said that, people said that he was completely, like, wasted, staggering, like, almost dropped down drunk. Do you remember any of that? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. He wasn't. When I saw him, I got there, he was drunk, but you could hold a conversation with him. Did you hear of any altercation with Luke? I did not see it, but I heard about him getting an altercation. Why would Luke come to the river? He wouldn't. I mean, he hated water, so it doesn't make any sense why he would even come down here. Do you really think that Luke tripped and fell in the river? No. I mean, I think he was murdered um, before because if he had to swim, he could swim. I, just, I think he was dead before he went in. According to Kevin Gannon and his team, Lucas had various injuries on his head, hands and arms, and they theorised that a mark on his forehead may have been a footprint that was the result of him being held down in the water. He was the eighth accidental drowning case in La Crosse over a nine-year period. A smiley face was found spray-painted near where Hooman's body was found. So... It also seems like, sorry, I'm just like always sprinkling in my thoughts as they come because otherwise I'll forget them. But with a lot of these events seem to happen when... Big alcoholic events. Yeah. yeah. A lot of these drownings seem to happen when there's big like drinking events associated with Halloween, a big sporting event, Oktoberfest. And also all these places, like, yes, they're hotspots, but they're also places where there's a lot of water, like Wisconsin and Minnesota are both on the Great Lakes. Minnesota is known as the land of... 10,000 lakes or something like that. Um, Boston's right on the water, like Chicago's near the water. Like they're all near water. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, that if you're near somewhere with water, the probability is that if something's going to happen to you, it's going to happen in the water. Yeah. So there's also a case of a man called Todd Gieb, who was 22 years old when he went missing during the early hours of June 12th, 2005. I actually find it interesting that this is the only guy who we've spoken about in both episodes, who went missing in warmer months, like June, getting warm, I guess. in Besides Jelani. Yeah, sorry, besides Jelani. Yeah. So the, out of all the men that we've spoken about, there's two, Jelani and Todd. So J- Todd went missing June 12th, 2005, after a bonfire party near his home in Casanova, Mich- Michigan. He was reported later that day by his mother and a massive manhunt ensued. The night of his disappearance, he made several calls from his cell phone One of them was to a friend who said she heard him say, I'm in a field, before the call was dropped. His body was found three weeks later in a lake that had previously been searched. His death was ruled as an undetermined drowning. 
Strangely, though, his head and shoulders were sticking out of the water as if he'd kind of gone for a swim. Like, I'm guessing that means he was kind of, yeah, vertical. I don't know. It sounds weird. You'd think that you would be horizontal in the water. Yeah, unless you're, like, stuck on Mm. something, I guess. His remains also showed very little signs of decomposition, which would have been present, obviously, if he died the day he went missing, which was 22 days in the water. Alcohol and antidepressants were found in his toxicology, but it was reported that he wasn't suffering from any form of depression at the time. A smiley face had been spray-painted on a tree near where his body was found, and this is a little bit creepy. A smiley face sticker was placed on his grave. That could just be like a dick there. Yeah, it could be just someone. You know, I'm sure in the town there's local rumours and chatter and gossip and all that. It would just be a, yeah, someone being a It's probably just some asshole who thought it was funny. Yeah, someone being a dick. But what you um were saying about the colder months versus the warmer months, I think obviously it happens more in the colder months because if you fall on a river when it's warmer, it's probably easier to get out of it yeah. and not die so quickly. Like If you fall into a river when it's negative nine degrees out with the wind chill in Boston, like you're probably going into shock very quickly. It's probably very hard to swim and get out of it. Yeah. Like even like I know even when you go for just a quick swim in cold water and it's so cold, like you almost cannot function. It's so, so like a shock to the body. Yeah. Um, there's Definitely. another case of 24-year-old William Hurley. He was a Navy be- veteran. He went missing after le- leaving a Bruins hockey game in Boston on October 8, 2009. He went to the game with two friends. Halfway through, he called his fiance and said he wanted to leave. And I'm assuming that, you know, she was going to go and pick him up. He walked outside while she drove to the stadium to get him. When she got there, though, he was, there was, he was nowhere in sight. When she called him to find out where he was waiting, she heard him answer the phone and she asked some, he asked someone where he was located. The man said 99 Nashua Street and Hurley said his cell phone was going dead. His fiancée Claire drove to the address but he wasn't there. She called him a second time but his cell phone seemed to be out of battery. She said she drove around for an hour before returning home and she thought that he got another ride but when she got home he wasn't there. She then reported him missing and they did lots of searches. Six days after his disappearance, his body was found in the Charles River, close to where he asked his fiance to pick him up. Investigators said there was no sign of foul play and his death was ruled an undetermined drowning. Uh, William's mother received a copy of the autopsy and she allowed a physician to analyze it. She found that her son had reportedly suffered blunt force trauma to the head, his eye socket and also behind his left leg. GHB was found in his system along with alcohol. A smiley face was found painted near the river where he was found. So with that one, where the Boston Bruins play is TD Garden, which is literally on the water. Like you walk outside and you see the water. Again, it's at the same area where it's all touristy. And like the Charles River is also right there. So he really wasn't very far from TD Garden. And what are hockey games really known for? You go to them and you get super fucked up with your friends. Yeah. I feel like something must have happened because he wanted to leave halfway through. So that maybe, you know, obviously I'm just speculating, but that maybe indicates to me there was an altercation with the people he was with. Maybe he was agitated and drunk. Like, you know, it just seems or weird. Felt, like too drunk and wanted to go home. It just seems weird to go to a game and then want to leave halfway through for no reason. Like, you know, I don't know. You know, there's a few options, I guess. But it seems to me that it was, you know, something must have happened for him to want to leave. Yeah, or he just felt, like, if he had GHB in a system too, could have just felt super fucked up and been like, I need to go home. Yeah, yeah. 
So they are the ones that I could find where there is kind of a proven smiley face in the area. I don't know. I I feel like I agree with you. I think it's mostly likely just a coincidence that there was smiley faces found where they were found or where they passed away. Yeah. I'm not saying just because I don't believe that the smiley face killers a thing doesn't mean that I believe all of these deaths were just simply accidental drownings. Like, sure, some might have been, maybe some had some sort of foul play involved. I just don't think they're all connected in the sense of one planned organization smiley face killer. No. Like, yeah, I agree. I agree with you there on that one. No offense to people who do think that. I'm, <laughs> I'm not trying to be not trying to be rude. I've always said I'm not one to believe in like conspiracy theories or anything. I pretty much always believe in like the easiest answer type thing. That's just the way I am. I guess I'm not a very fun person. <laughs> there was um, an interesting article I read, which I wanted to kind of talk about the culpability and responsibility of bars and venues in terms of these men who end up deceased after leaving their premises. There was a case of a man called Shane Montgomery. He went missing in 2014, was found drowned in a river, and basically a judge ordered that the bar he was at must pay $525,000, but that Shane was also negligent before he ended up in the river. I'll read it out. This is Mm -hmm. from the Inquirer. It says, a Philadelphia jury on Monday found that a bar that closed in 2016, this article is from 2019, should pay $525,000 in damages to the family of a 21-year-old Westchester University student who drowned after a night of drinking. But they also ruled that Shane Montgomery was negligent in his own actions before he ended up in the river. So this case was made up of a jury of 10 women and two men. And they said that the bar continued to serve him while he was visibly intoxicated, but that Shane bore the largest share of responsibility for his own death. And they didn't find negligence on the part of any of any specific bar employees. Um, his family said the outcome was disappointing and that the case had turned into a blame the victim defence. He Shane had gone missing on Thanksgiving Eve, again, another probably fairly alcohol-fueled evening, Definitely. 2014. Divers spent five weeks searching for his body in the river. He was seen on surveillance walking away from the bar alone towards the river at 2 a.m. They found his body on January 3, and it was draped over a log in shallow water near the riverbank. It was never determined how he came to be in the river. Um, and his parents filed the lawsuit against two of the bouncers from the bar and James Townsend, who was the director of operations. They'd said that the bar had violated state law by serving Montgomery despite him vi- being visibly intoxicated and then had acted negligently by kicking him out with it, out trying to find his friends or ordering him a taxi. They also said the bar was understaffed and not equipped to handle the rowdy crowd. I think that's a fair decision honestly yeah and then like the lawyers also for the defendants they got they got shane's medical and education records and they attempted to portray him as a frequent and heavy drinker he'd been hospitalized in 2011 with alcohol related hepatitis after blacking out at a homecoming party he was cited twice for underage drinking on campus and he completed an alcohol education class so um it, it does raise an interesting point in the terms of even chris jenkins dakota I'm not Dakota, Zachary Ma, it raises any, like those guys were all booted out apparently from a bar and it kind of ended up with them losing their lives. And so you will have to wonder, like it's an interesting topic of conversation, where does the responsibility lie? I was wondering that with one of the ones that we talked about last time where I was thinking like, oh, if they found out really why they had GHB in their system or like why they were so drunk, 
could the family sue them in like a wrongful death lawsuit? And in this situation, I do feel like that is a fair ruling that is the bar a little responsible? Sure. But is he also responsible? Yes. It's I don't see how it's any different than like over serving someone who then goes out and gets into a bad car accident where the bar gets in trouble. It's kind of similar. Yeah. Where if someone's super, 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 super drunk, you shouldn't continue to serve them, especially if then they get kicked out. Like we were saying with um, the guy in Boston where he didn't actually get kicked out. But I was saying like in that situation, if he did get kicked outside in negative nine degree weather while he was wasted with no help or anyone around i think that's pretty negligent of a business to do especially to not even you know let them get their coat or to at least tell their friends that they're leaving yeah i agree that bar specifically there's like a little foyer type area where you're not outside but you're not inside either so it's like you could wait in there for someone to come out get the person yeah so it is interesting but i think that's fair i feel like in terms of smiley face killers, I personally don't really believe it's likely to be a thing. I feel like there's a lot of men who died in similar circumstances and it's all alcohol or drug related generally, generally, obviously not all the time, but generally. Um, and that mm-hmm. they either fell in when they went to pee, they got lost, it was dark, stumbled into a river somehow. And I feel like that is probably the explanation for the majority of these cases. Obviously, Chris Jenkins is different. Um, we don't know about Jelani yet. There's a, you know, there might be a few different outcomes, but for the majority of these guys, I think it's just a terrible accident. Like I said last time, this I feel like doesn't happen to girls as much because yeah. girls are <laughs> less likely to wander off alone. And girls can't pee in a river. Like I know it's yeah, it sounds common or whatever to say it, but essentially you can't. So, but even if they just want to go look at the river or something, a girl's not going to wander off by herself at one in the morning in boston or wherever alone drunk probably not like girls like to stick together because we're usually the victims of crimes so we know better than to go walking at night when you're wasted yeah whereas a man would feel more confident to do that by himself yeah like they don't have that fear instilled in them where like they can't walk down the street at night to go look at the cool creek down the road yeah but i think that kind of explains why it doesn't happen to girls as much and i get Um, yeah i guess to like if it does happen to a girl just you know i don't know and even like things like going out to have a cigarette if it was a girl for instance maybe she'd be less likely to go out alone even just for a cigarette and things like that there'd always be someone probably with her or yeah like yeah yeah i do females are less likely to be alone no matter what yeah like we go to the bathroom together (laughs) when we're out like (laughs) yeah yeah so i feel like that kind of explains why it seems to be such a specific demographic but really i think it's just one, it doesn't happen to girls as much. And two, it has a lot to do with drinking. And that's why it kind of turns out to be more like college age, younger 20s. Not to say people who are older don't drink a lot, because of course we can and do. But we don't get as drunk as people in their younger 20s or college especially. You're more a seasoned drinker by the time you're in your 30s. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, and, and you get tired faster and you want to go home. <laughs> yeah. So there are uh, – I'll put some links to the Oxygen Special up on the blog. Um, I feel like this is, again, going to be a theory that can't be debunked because how can you? It's very vague. Yeah, and it's it can encompass a lot of different things. I know that we mentioned earlier that, they're like, they've said a lot of the guys who are kind of attributed to maybe being a smiley face victim had no – injuries on them like with Dakota James we spoke about him you know going 10 miles apparently down the river in a dam and he had no injuries 
But then when we look at Lucas Homan, who we just spoke about in this episode, it said that he had injuries on his head, hands and arms and that he had a mark on his forehead. So that kind of goes against their whole, it's, it's almost like sometimes they make the narrative fit when it doesn't really. I was thinking that before too. Before they were saying there was no marks on them and that's why it was suspicious. And then with the one where they found marks on him later, that was also suspicious. So it's like no matter what it is to them, suspicious. it's suspicious. Yeah. They kind of force the connection sometimes like you were just saying. Yeah. So I get like when you see things like that, it makes you question the validity of their, um, you know, findings and research. Like I know these men have dedicated years and years of their lives and they've written books and studies and shows and there's even movies about the smiley face killer. And different things like that. So, it, um, like, there's, um, I have no doubt that there's a lot of research, and they obviously believe their research. But I just feel like, in most of the cases, it's probably a stretch. But it also just seems like it's an easy money grab. Yeah. No offense to the people researching this, but it seems very clickbaity almost. Where people, it just seems interesting. Of course, they're going to spend all this time researching it and making these TV shows and making all these things because they're making money off of it. Yeah not put down their research or anything but it's also the idea of the smiley face killer is super vague that you can almost force any death to it that happened in a river like what what are the other stipulations there's a river and there's a smiley face yeah that's, that's it. it that's it and yeah and I, find, I do find it interesting that when they talk about the decomposition too it is in cases where it seems to have been colder which may explain the preservation of the bodies a little bit more obviously maybe not to the extent that they're saying but um, the bodies that seem to have been found in the warmer water don't seem to have been noted as having less decomposition. Yeah, it probably just also depends because I know with like Jelani, they said it was a moving river, like the water was warm and he was also fed on by predators. So I'm sure it just depends on like a lot of factors. Like how cold was it? How deep was the river? Is there a lot of rocks and sticks in the river? How fast like, was how the fast river? Yeah. 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 So it, there's a lot of variables to that. Um, there were, I just I just wanted to cite to a few really good resources that we used for these past two episodes. There was the oxygen stuff, which I'll put on the blog. There's also a really good blog that sadly hasn't been kind of updated as much and the person's written it's because they got a new job, but um, it's called Footprints <laughs> at the River's Edge. It's a really, really comprehensive blog that goes back to like 1997, possibly even earlier, about all these different missing men. Um and like it's it's great if you if you are interested in this kind of phenomenon, I would go and check it out. I'll put it on the blog, but it's called Footprints at the River's Edge. There's also another blog which I've just got to find the link now. And they did a good write up on Zachary Ma, and they've also done like a lot about the missing men in Boston and different things like that. It's called Cryptid Antiquarian. I'll put their blog up online, but they have a lot of information. They've spent a lot of time kind of retracing the steps of some of these men. So if you're interested to learn more about where they disappeared from and their circumstances, I definitely recommend that resource as well. Okay, guys, it's just Stephanie here with some last minute updates for this episode comes out, which is tomorrow. It is December 1st right now, Wednesday, 3.51 p.m. I just got home from work and ready to get this done. So between starting recording this episode a few weeks ago and today, there was actually another case where a missing man was found deceased in a river after spending the night drinking so seemed to fit this episode theme that we're going with exactly so i'm going to talk a little bit about that one um his name was brian bone from orlando florida area 
He was out celebrating his 24th birthday in Orlando on November 21st when he vanished. His mother said in an interview that Brian called her on the night he disappeared sounding confused and scared. His phone reportedly went dead shortly after the call. She said that he said, quote, I don't know, I'm just around buildings. He was scared, and I know how he sounds when he's going to cry, and he had that sound in his voice, and I was telling him to stay there. Police announced on Friday, November 29th, that paddleboarders ended up finding his body in Lake Ivanhoe under the I-4 bridge. It's still unclear how he got into the water, but police said there was no signs of foul play at the time. And it's another sad story. Someone went out celebrating their 24th birthday, somehow seemed to get lost and ends up dead in the river. Hopefully they could find out some more information, maybe some CCTV to see if he was wandering around there. Maybe look under the bridge if there's any smiley faces I'd be curious to know. But another sad story right around the holidays. Whether it was an accident, whether it was a smiley face killer, I think one thing to say about all these stories is like, we all got to keep an eye on each other. Keep an eye on your friends, especially if you're out drinking. Don't let anyone wander off alone. Like, y'all got to stick together. Keep an eye on everyone. Stay safe out there. Um, Another little update I wanted to talk about was Brendan Santo. We talked about him in the last episode as he was still missing. He is still currently missing today. Um, There's not really any major updates. He went missing when he was visiting um, MSU during Halloween weekend. And the latest article I found says, the investigation continues to lead police towards the Red Cedar River, said MSU police, who are consulting with water experts to better focus their search efforts. While a search for Brendan is not solely focused on the river and is open to other leads, MSU Police Inspector Chris Rosman said the river is currently of particular interest. He said, We have investigative leads that are pointing toward the river. We don't want to lock ourselves into an absolute with that situation. You know, we've used sonar as well as canines in our search of the river, which has increased our interest level in the river. So another one. Hopefully they find him soon so his family can at least get some answers. Um, Like Olivia mentioned, we are keeping a kind of like a rolling blog going with all these cases that will continue to update whenever this happens. So if that's something that's of interest to you, you want to learn more about any of these cases, see pictures of the people, videos, all that, make sure to check out our blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. And I'm also going to make a little Instagram text box thing tomorrow when this episode comes out because I'd love to know everyone's thoughts on what's going on with this weird phenomenon and what you guys all think of the smiley face killer a lot of people do think it's real we get messages about it all the time so i'd love to see what you all have to say about it after listening i know this episode is a little bit shorter than some of our other ones obviously i celebrate thanksgiving as an american citizen so it was a little bit of a crazy time the holiday and after the holiday my boyfriend and i always go to vermont so actually While we are in Vermont, this ties into the smiley face killer thing, I swear, so I'm not just rambling off here. (laughs) Um, When we were in Stowe, Vermont, we went and visited this bridge that it's over like a little creek. It's a little covered bridge that's apparently haunted because, you know, the story is like any other haunted little bridge or lake or something in any town that in 1844, some girl named Emily went there to run away with her boyfriend and he never showed up. So she 
hung herself from the bridge or something, and now she haunts it and attacks people who go there. So I went there hoping that Emily would maybe attack me or something, which didn't happen. But I did find smiley face graffiti there. I took a picture of it. I screamed. I sent it to Olivia. And, you know, there's a little creek there. There's a little smiley face. But I think that just proves maybe the theory a little bit more that we were saying that people just like to graffiti smiley faces. I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for them. Maybe I'll start a blog of just smiley face graffiti that I find around. But um, we'll post the picture if anyone cares or wants to see it. But anyways, like I was saying, sorry that this episode's a little shorter. Um, I did also get engaged in Vermont. So yay for me and my fiance, weird to say. So just been kind of a hectic time. But the next episode is going to be probably pretty long because we're going to be talking about missing five-year-old Summer Wells, who I'm sure you guys have at least seen in passing in the news. Kind of more of the reporters are starting to pick it up. But some of you have even messaged us and said it's a very hard case to just jump into and start following. There's a lot of players, a lot of people involved. There's something called the Cornbread Mafia. I don't even know, but it's not the easiest one to jump into. So we did the notes for it. It's going to be a longer episode again next week. But hopefully for those of you who want to follow that case, it will help you get into it and feel a little less overwhelmed about following it. I think that's everything. As always, leave us a review if you haven't. And if you're listening to the podcast and don't mind sharing on your Instagram story, we would love that. It helps us get the word out there and we'll reshare it. We love to see what you guys have to say. Leave us a review if you haven't done that already, only if it's a nice one, preferably. If you have any feedback to give us ever, you can just email us at truecrimesociety at gmail.com. Definitely better than messaging us sometimes because it won't get lost that way. We do try to go through all the messages, though, but like I've said before, Instagram's probably the crappiest messaging platform ever. And yeah, go to our blog, truecrimesocietyblog.com to see all the show notes. And definitely check out our forum as well, even if you are too scared to post on a forum or just don't want to put in the effort of making another account. It's definitely worth the read. We've got a lot of people on there who are great sleuths, great at digging up information, lots of good info on there. So check that out at truecrimesociety.com. And that's it. We'll talk to you guys next time when we talk about Summer Wells. Bye. (laughs) 